This is Toastcaster, the communication leadership and learning lab. Your host, Greg Gazin, speaker, blogger, author, and syndicated veteran columnist of Troy Media. Episode 178, Journey to My First Novel, Dealing with Diamonds, with our guest, Jock McKenzie. Jock is a former teacher and administrator with the Red Deer Public School Board in Alberta, Canada for 31 years. His grade one report card stated, Jock enjoys telling of his many and varied experiences. He hasn't quite quit either talking or writing. Jock is the author of a teacher reference book on essays called Essay Writing, Teaching the Basics from the Ground Up, released in 2007, in addition to numerous magazine articles. More recently, Jock has self-published a crime drama, Dealing with Diamonds, that's D-Y-M-A-N-S, and with two children's books in the works. A longtime Toastmaster, Jock has enjoyed speaking at teacher conferences across Canada, as well as emceeing a variety of events. Jock also appeared on episode 104, entitled Three-Eye Racer Technique, for more engaging storytelling. And we'll certainly put a link to everything we speak about in the show notes. Coming to us from Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, Jock McKenzie, welcome to Toastcaster. Thanks, Greg. So good to hear from you again. Jock, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us today. I know you've been pretty busy promoting your book. How is that going so far? It's going very well. Surprisingly well, Greg. I ordered 100 copies, sold them all, ordered 50 more because I was being a little bit less optimistic. I'm out of those and have ordered another 30, which came the other day. So for a small town boy, I think it's going surprisingly well. Okay, soon you'll have to be ordering the four digits and more. (laughs) We wish. You've been on quite a journey, right? Again, you're previously an an academic, and more recently you've sort of dived into this crime novel. I thought it would be a great idea to have you on the program to talk a little bit about what you went through, perhaps some of your adventures and and misadventures, perhaps for people who are thinking of maybe writing a novel or writing a book and Or for those who are maybe in the midst of it and they're feeling, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And again, you've sort of been through a lot of it. That's true, Greg. And this particular novel started as a short story. I would suggest for those who want to write, probably one of the best things to do is to get connected with a writing group. We have a used to have a writing group in town called Writers Inc. And typically wordplay, it was I-N-K. The group is now called Ink Blots, and they meet every second Friday, and they share ideas and they critique the work that you have. About a decade ago, I was in that group, and I shared this short story, and at the end of it, they said, well, what happens next? <laughs> so I said, well, it's a, it's a short story. Nothing happens next. <laughs> then I got thinking, yeah, well, maybe I, I should carry on. Well, now it's 82,000 words, and it's a novel. So with the short story, was it sort of a one and done, or were you thinking of taking it any further? Oh, no, not not initially. In fact, as it turned out, it's kind of chapter two of this book. I, I guess we write for a number of reasons. You know, we write to entertain others. We write to entertain ourselves. I, I do that quite a bit. We write to, to record memories that we can look back on, and maybe others can look back on if it's in a form that, you know, your kids or your friends can, can see. Certainly as a teacher, I wrote to educate, sometimes to inspire. But this one, I think, was just a one-off. It was a a cute idea, and and it was done. But it was possible to add more 
And I did. Can you recall what that sort of turning point was? Like what was the tipping point where all of a sudden it's like, this could really be a book? I wish I could, Greg. It's it's funny that this particular novel kind of wrote itself. It just kind of occurred to me. There are a number of things that are twisted versions of characters, people that I know, events that have happened in my life. I guess being retired, one has the time and poof, <laughs> it appeared. So Jock, you started with a story that had maybe a thousand or 2000 words. Yep. You're now at 82,000. Was there a point somewhere, I don't know, four, five, six, 10,000 words in where you thought, I just can't do this? No, no, it just, as I say, kind of fell into place. One thing leads to another. And having been an English teacher for about half of my career, I, I was a classroom teacher for about 15 years and then an administrator for the other half. I guess I would say that it just, you say, okay, you, you can't end a chapter that just leads into the next chapter. You have to maybe leave your audience hanging a little bit and switch tracks, move to one of the other characters or another location. I don't know. It just happened. You're probably in the minority. So <laughs> putting your teacher hat on for a moment, if you had one of your students who was progressing through this exercise and found himself or herself in a position where I'm, I've got a roadblock, either I've got writer's block or I just feel like an imposter, I'm not really an author. Is there any thoughts or advice you would share with them? Well, First of all, I would definitely share that there is nobody who is an imposter. And certainly since writing this book, I've had other people come to me and say, Jock, I, you know, I've got a book in my mind. I've had an incident in my life that I, I just need to get out on paper. I don't know if I want to publish it. I just, I just need to get it off my heart uh, and off my chest, off my mind but I don't really want to share it with anybody, but I know I need to share it with some people. Well, I think every single author that I've ever met, and I've met quite a few in the course of time, are more than willing to say, hey, look, we, we all started not being professional, so just do it. You know, sometimes it's just take a little bit of time, you know, put it away for a while. Sometimes it's uh, come at it from another point of view, Sometimes it's ask for some advice and say, well, what do you do when you, when you hit a roadblock? Do you go and write a song or a poem or a card or a letter to somebody? Or you just bear down and, and, and start writing? Because just because you've either written it or typed it or voiced to texted it doesn't mean that it has to be permanent. If it's just drivel for a while, well, then that's what the, <laughs> that's what the editing <laughs> process is all about. We'll certainly talk about the editing process in a little while, but I guess also this is where your writer's group comes in as well, right? Getting a little bit of help you build some of that confidence. It does, but it's like everything. You have to know, you have to know your group and know your audience. I've heard, I heard a couple of authors on the radio, CBC out of Calgary noon show the other day, talking about don't go to Goodreads because there are trolls out there who are just living I mean, they get up in the morning and they think, now, who can I dump on today? Who can I make feel like they're smaller than small? So you have to be careful and you have to think of anybody. Think about telling a joke at your Toastmasters club. Some people think it's hilarious and others you barely get a smile out of. Different strokes for different folks. 
share your writing with some people and they'll think it's great. Some will tell you it's great even if it isn't. So you need a, a an audience that you can trust. Yeah, I know. I have a friend who says, yeah, don't get necessarily get feedback from mom and dads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because depending on your folks, you may get either extreme and maybe not necessarily reality. Exactly. Yeah. Either extreme is, is no good. I get it. I mean, you know that I've published a small children's book. In fact, you've read it and yeah. offered some suggestions that I might change with a, with an upcoming revision. But I also have two others in the hopper that are probably maybe a third done in probably 10 years. Let's just say, and some people will get this after we talk a little more, let's just say I haven't done Jack Schmidt about it. <laughs> <laughs> So creating your little diversions gives you sort of ideas. It does. And, and they come at the oddest times. And I would suggest for people that are probably like most folks these days who have a telephone, when I get one of those odd ideas, I have a notes page on my little iPhone and I'll say, oh, that's a cute turn of phrase or that's an interesting concept. I might include that at some point. This particular book, because it just occurred, and you've read it, and you know at the end, it begs a sequel. Well, it also begs a prequel. And the main character, Jack Schmidt, is a retired RCMP officer. And we can talk about Jack Schmidt maybe in a bit. I need to think of a good idea for you know the whole book that comes before dealing with diamonds and the whole book that comes afterwards. So whenever I get a thought, I jot it down. Actually, you, talk, you started talking about the book. We will talk some specifics in a little bit. But I'm also curious, you said the book came out nicely, it flowed nicely. That's just, again, wonderful. But I'm also curious about what was some of the processes you went through in actually laying out and creating the story and creating the characters? I alluded to this a little bit earlier. I, I have this main character, Jack Schmidt, and I, I see him kind of like being me. He drives a, a little white half-ton ranger truck. He has a place in the country that he goes and sits and thinks things through. I happen to live in the country, and the place where I have my character sitting is a quarter of a mile away. It overlooks the valley. Mm -hmm. I have a beautiful girl who is in his life, and she's like my wife, who is, in fact, a beautiful girl as well. I have characters that are Jeet, who I shared on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram the other day. He's a he's an East Indian fellow who is a security guard at the mall. And I know a couple of guys that are sort of like that. He thinks he's a cowboy. <laughs> he, you know, he has his flashlight hanging from his belt like a six gun. He doesn't speak English particularly well and he gets things mixed up and he'll instead of saying, well, he's all hat and no cattle, he says he's all cattle and no hat. So I just, I pick and choose bits and parts of people and events from my life. And I hope I don't upset anybody if they think, ooh, that's kind of close to me or, or my life or my business or my place. But it's all fiction, totally. Well, it goes to the adage of write about what you know and write about who you know. But of course, if it's a who, <laughs> maybe talk a little bit about them first and have that great disclaimer saying this is purely a work of fiction. right. Yes. Well, I, every time I give it to anybody, in fact, there's a, a jewelry store in this particular novel that's called Sharma and Diamonds Fine Jewelry, the D-Y-M-A-N-S, because a fellow named Diamonds is the jeweler. And now it's his son, this dastardly Dougie that's taken over. 
there is a store in Red Deer called Mitchell and Jewel Jewelers of Red Deer. Well, I had no intention, but I guess in the back of my mind, probably that idea came up. So <laughs> we hope Dick Jewel is fine with the book. What about the mechanical process? How do you go about writing the story? I think sometimes for some people in their mind, tell themselves, this is who I want to talk about. This is the main problem that they are facing. These are some of the events that lead up to how does it end? One of the stories that I'm working on, I wrote as a short story, and it's called The Winner Bracket Cheater is dot, dot, dot. Well, it's basically a retelling of an event in my life. So if that's the kind of story you're writing, you just have to pick and choose which events do you want to tell and how much later do you flesh them out, how much meat do you add to the bones. Another way is a thing that I call a scattergram. And a scattergram is in part how I prepared for this podcast that we're doing. I sat down and I said to myself, okay, Jock, Greg has said he'd like to talk about your novel, but he's also said he'd like to talk about how other people can write. What things do they need to know? So I took a piece of paper, and on one side of the paper, I wrote all of the things, just scattered them all over the paper about what am I doing right now? Where did I start writing? The part you mentioned about my grade one report card. I thought about sitting around the kitchen table as a family, and my mom with her Oxford Concise Dictionary, always intrigued with words, and we would pun after supper and my brother, my sister, my dad, my mom, share things. I just scattered this whole paper with ideas. On the other side, I wrote, well, what about other people? And I scattered it with ideas. Why do they write? When should they write? Who should they write for? Where would they write? How do they do it? Once you scatter all of those things, I got my little pencil crayons out. And I put orange squares around ideas that had to do with the past. And I put green squares around the most recent things. Without going into any more detail, there's kind of a, a writing and a organizing and a numbering system that you can use to organize your ideas. It's like creating an outline, almost like a picture outline, instead of one that would be an essay outline, if you know what I mean. You know, capital letters, Roman numerals, lowercase letters, uppercase letters, and like that. That makes sense? Yeah, no, it does. Now, in terms of developing the characters, do you use the same process or do you just have, okay, here's Jack Schmidt and here's all the particulars about him? How do you, how do, you do that? What I try to do is to eke it out or squeeze it out gently. I don't like in books that I read where they'll say, well, Missy Montana walked into the bar and then go from either toe to head or head to toe or near to far or most obvious to least obvious because it just it's just too much all at once what i try to do is just say missy montana walked in and man she had an hourglass figure with a little more in the am something like that and then later i might say uh, missy montana's you know long blonde locks were as must as they always were after an encounter with Dougie, and she hated that about him. And then a little bit later, you know, she turned her blue sparkling orbs up at his greedy smile or something like that. So over the course of time, you sort of say, oh, okay, is it important uh, what they look like, how they speak, uh, how they dress, 
what, you know, where they live, you know, all the little bits and pieces that kind of create an individual. And what about the voice? I know with Jack Schmidt, for example, he reminded me of a 1940s or 1930s <laughs> gumshoe, but he spoke almost in, I don't know, would you call it metaphors he spoke in? I guess that's something that I need to maybe be more aware of is that when I'm talking about him or when he is actually speaking, if, you know, if this was a cartoon and his actual words were in a voice bubble, you have to be careful and to differentiate between, you know, Jack Schmidt and Cleveland Shea and Big Jim Spady and all of the various characters. I try to. And I, I try to say to myself, what would he sound like if this were an audio recording, if I had a cast of characters playing the different parts? And you cleverly came up with names you mentioned about Cleveland Shea. Tell us a little bit about the naming there. I love words. And the, on the back of the book, the part that someone is going to read, it says, and I quote, gunplay, wordplay, and you don't know Jack Schmidt. <laughs> First of all, with a name like Jock, J-O-C-K McKenzie, all through my life, I have been not Jock, I've been Jacques, as in French. I've been Jack, I've been Chuck, I've been Jake. It occurred to me that I should create the name for my main character, and he always is tired of people saying, well, you don't know Jack. And they think, ha, 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 I made this great joke. Well, you don't know Jack Schmidt, ha, ha, ha. So I called him Jack Schmidt. His friend, Cleveland Shea, nobody calls him Cleveland. Not, you know, they don't call you Gregory. They don't call my brother Robert. They call him Rob or Robbie. Cleveland, it gets to be Clee. So if his name is Clee Shea, the <laughs> what should he speak like? Well, everything that comes out of his mouth is a... Cliche. Yeah, exactly. Uh, his girlfriend is J.J. Or she used to be called Red because she had red hair when she was younger. On Dante, so her name is Red On Dante or Redundant, and JJ <laughs> is repetitive. She says when you come into her house, "Merry Merry Christmas." She lives in a duplex. She plays a game called Double Trouble. Everything with her is double. So I I have fun with names. Missy Montana is a hooker. <laughs> at uh, Baritol's Bar and Girl, not Bar and Grill, and Baritol is B-A-R-I-T-O-L, so it's Bear It All, strip joint. Got to have some fun with words and character names. So when you were coming up with the story, obviously, again, unlike many others, you had an easier time writing it, but as you were going through it, did you run ideas by others or with your writing group? Oh, for sure. I think you have to you have to be careful. Some people, they go through the process of, I, I'm going to read this to you because I know that I'm supposed to, but I don't really have any intention of listening to what you say <laughs> because I'm so good that I just, I try to be humble and try to say, wow. I mean, uh, I think little Abner used to say, well, any fool knows that. I know that. And I look at myself as being, having been an English teacher for a long time, long time, have a postgraduate diploma in English, I still don't know, as we would say, Schmidt from Tuesday. There's a lot of guys who know a whole lot more, and I'm more than willing to listen to them. And sharing it is important. And then deciding which advice to take, which advice not to take. I have another friend who and he and I are chatting right now about his writing a book. Some good advice that he got was just write it all. Just get it all down first. Mm -hmm. Then go back then you can edit it. 
But at the same time, I'm still reading it as he goes, and I think I might help a little bit in that process, so it might not just be perfectly beginning to end. Yeah, yeah. so you're being run by others. Have an open mind, but also be willing to, to stand your ground when necessary. <laughs> really, yeah. And yeah. I think you find people that it's like in life. I was at an event the other day, the Central Alberta Film Festival, and there were some people that I met, and I just kind of clicked with them. Even before saying anything, you just look at them and you go like, oh, that's an interesting looking person. And then you chat with them for a few minutes and you go, yeah, yeah, we're somehow on the same wavelength. And it's the same with writing. If you find someone that kind of gets you, they, they kind of understand you, they can talk to you and you can appreciate their point of view, then you're a little bit more likely to listen to them than mm -hmm. to other people. So if you can find that as a family member, as a friend, or just as someone that you meet at some point, be open to that. I had my manuscript from a little children's book uh, read over by a grade school teacher. This was before I knew you, I met you. Mm -hmm. And the first thing she said to me, and it's funny because I had already written the bulk of the story. She said, Greg, you know, you might want to consider writing it more in first person present type uh -huh. thing. Yep. And I thought, oh yeah. Because th when the children are reading the story, although it's ironic, it's a kid's book, but like people eight, ages eight to 80 read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought, oh yeah. So when I was done, I compared the first version to the subsequent version and it was like, wow, what a difference. So I'll mention her name, Marla Williams. She did a phenomenal job going through it. And that was the big takeaway for me. And now I, now when I'm writing other stories and other articles, I really think about that and put that into perspective and it makes a huge, huge difference. Yes. Well, and that's a key factor. I mean, that's, well, I guess with the length of Corey and the butterflies, it's, it isn't horrendous, but can you imagine changing an 80,000 word document to a, you know, oh, you should have written, should have written this from a different point of view, or you should have made it in the future, or you should have something, you know, mammoth like that. Now, editing, the editing process, obviously 82,000 words. Did you do the editing yourself? Did you have an editor? What was the process there? I went through a number of steps with the editing. I certainly tried to edit it myself. And I think that if I ever had to do, well, when I do, I hope, the prequel and sequel, I'll pay particular, even more attention to that. And every real author, and I don't consider myself really a real author because I self-published this one. Mm -hmm. I had a publisher publish my essay writing book way back in 2007 or whenever that was. Mm -hmm. And I think you need to know that that's a major part of it. Sadly, when I went to this film festival, I was talking to some folks about writing a script and they said, well, <laughs> yeah, you can write the script, but know that it's going to get chewed up, torn apart, rewritten, and you hope to be able to recognize it when it's finished. That's the beauty of the self-publishing business, is that even though when I initially wrote this, I thought, I'm a good Canadian boy, born and raised in Red Deer, I'm going to send this out to, and I think I chose a dozen, maybe 13, 14 Canadian publishers. None of them wanted it. Half of them didn't even respond. Maybe I didn't have my query letter as as professionally done as I should. I did the best I could at the time. The ones who did respond, it was a form letter. Thank you, but no thank you. The beauty and the curse, I guess, of self-publishing, and self-publishing has kind of a bad name for that reason, some people don't bother to edit it well enough. 
Anybody can go to Kindle Direct Publishing. It's basically free. There are thousands, thousands of books that are out there. Some of them are excellent. Some of them are just awful. Go to your writing group. You can pay people. There are all kinds of people out in the world that will edit it for you. I did pay a fellow one time. I totally disagreed with almost all of what he had to say. It was a double whammy. I got, I had to pay the bucks and I had to disregard much of what he said. It's a journey. Again, that's part of the process, as I remember. Yeah. And it's very similar to getting feedback on your speeches and yeah. your presentations. You take it in and then you filter it. You figure out what's going to work for you. But then at the same time, there are sometimes, I remember in one presentation I gave, I had a section in there and I had someone give me a very strong reason why, you know what, this is, it's good, but it's really not that relevant. And you want to find a way of tightening it up and shortening it up. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I had to let it go. Same thing with, uh, with the book. There was a couple things in, in the book that it was kind of like, oh, I love this. I just, this is gold. And someone said, well, you know, if you look at it from this <laughs> perspective, it's like, eh, you know what, maybe you're right. <laughs> so it's a, it's a bit of a balance. I think that we all know in our hearts when it's good. Some of us are looking for perfection and you will never be satisfied. I've listened to authors and I, I listen to a number of podcasts. I love the CBC. I'm, I'm kind of a, a sponge when it comes to listening to the people who've been there and done that. Your Matt Abrahams uh, talks to some wonderful human beings on his podcast. At the end of whatever the journey is, you know I'm good. I like it. It's time to move on to something else because you can beat yourself up if you're always looking for oh, absolute 100% nirvana. You mentioned the CBC. That's the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. There's a TV ah. channel and uh, radio stations across the country as well. So you mentioned that you decided to go the self-publishing route. So, of course, people can purchase the book online. You've had a number of copies printed. So now that you've done all this, how are you going about selling it? Well, it, clearly it's on Amazon, and I haven't sold very many on Amazon because nobody knows who Jock McKenzie from Red Deer, Alberta, let alone where is Alberta, if <laughs> forget about Red Deer. <laughs> and as I've also said, there are a gazillion books out there. And uh, of the gazillion, there are probably millions of crime novels. So what I've done locally is I've gone to a number of coffee gift shops. And, you know, having grown up here, I, I know virtually everybody. I've taught half of them over my career in teaching. So I, I built these little, I think, clever boxes that have some additions to them. I, I do. I mentioned I do stained glass. So I have made a stained glass diamond and it's part of the box display. So they're available around town. I've gone to the Chapters store and Chapters is a kind of like a Barnes and Noble type big box store. Had a, a desk there one Saturday. There's another farmer's market that's an outdoor farmer's market. I had a table there. There's an indoor farmer's market. I had a table there. I have learned how to use TikTok. My son laughs at me and he says, Jock, FaceTime is for old people like you. TikTok <laughs> and Instagram and there are other sites. I'm on LinkedIn as well. So, you know, the social media aspect, uh, talking to you on this podcast, anything that I can think of. Yeah. So out of curiosity, how do you approach a farmer's market or a bookstore or how does that work? Well, it's like anything else. If you don't ask, you don't get. 
I don't know anybody at the local chapter store. So I just went online and found out how to apply. In cases like that, there's an application form and it's harking back to the query letter. You need to do some research. You know, how do you write a good query letter and how do you write a good application to be one of the people in the store? People are lined up at the chapter store, not in the Christmas season. They don't have these little book signings, but virtually every other Saturday, somebody in the central Alberta region, you know, within 100 miles, has written a book and they want a Saturday at at the bookstore. Same with the farmer's market. At the indoor market, again, I just went, there's an office and they say, hey, I'm a local author. And they go, oh, local people, that's, it's a win-win. So many of these things are win-win. It'll help us a little bit. And if it helps you in the process, that's a good thing. Awesome. I try to make my booth attractive. I know a fellow who is a Royal Canadian Mounted Police officer who was in the the musical ride. He's got the red outfit. He's got the Stetson. He's got the shiny boots and spurs. I borrowed those things and displayed them along with my booth. Got a big poster made. I had a lady up the hill who is a photographer who makes cards, beautiful pictures of animals in Alberta scenery. So she shared the booth with me and, and was a bit of a drawing card. So it was a help me help you thing. Yeah. So these are all great ideas. So Jock, you're just getting started on TikTok, but you have already been using, I believe, LinkedIn and Facebook to promote, but yet you're sort of doing it in a refreshing way. Right. Some people are on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn all the time. If it's not interesting to me, and the same with TikTok, if I'm not intrigued in the first couple of seconds or minute, I flip to the next thing. And with dealing with diamonds, if you see that same picture and you go, oh, here's the guy just promoting his novel again, I would like to, I hope, make it interesting. So I've thought to myself, I thought to myself, hmm, well, I start the book out with Dougie Diamonds talking to this old gal who has a diamond that's kind of got a pink stain on it, but he's not paying attention to her. He's a gambler, and he's thinking about the number seven. He's thinking of the seventh horse in the seventh racetrack in the United States listings in the month of July, the seventh month, and it goes on and on. So I I posted a little bit about him and seven. It turns out that it's a joke, and you don't find the answer to the joke until about page 118 or something. Same with Cleveland Shea, same with Jeet Rui, I will do one on Missy Montana. I'm hoping that it just intrigues people to go, oh, you've got all these different characters with all these different quirky things. It's more than just a whodunit. It's a fun ride. And I think that's important as well. It's not just the destination. It's the journey. Taking a little bit of a step back, Jock, we we sort of danced around the premise of the book, but perhaps could you just give us just a little brief synopsis of what the book is and what's it about? The story originally started with this Jack Schmidt guy sitting in a coffee shop. He's quit the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. He is relatively young. I would say he's, you know, not even 50 years old yet. He's retired. He is, he's kind of at loose ends. His wife, the beautiful Kate, has been killed. He's a mess. And then Some of the boys come into this coffee shop that he goes to, the City Roast Coffee Shop, and they're talking about this Dougie Diamonds character. And he seems odd in some way. And Jack, my hero, goes, hmm, this is worth looking into. And away we go. We find out that if you take a diamond ring or any jewel 
into Sharma and Diamond's fine jewelry, Dougie takes it out and replaces it with a cubic zirconia or moissanite or glass and pockets the good diamond. But Dougie is a gambler and gets in a little over his head. So as always, there are layers in life. And he's got some even badder guys who are on his case. So the novel revolves around Jack looking into Dougie Diamonds and Dougie Diamonds trying to stay out of the way of Ben the Finger Vincent. And there's a funny story behind (laughs) the finger that we don't find out about at all in this novel. And on it goes from there. You know, will Jack succeed or not? So you don't know Jack Schmidt until you read the book (laughs) about dealing with diamonds about Jack Schmidt. (laughs) Right. You got it. Well, Jock, this has been fantastic. Uh, Just to leave us with one thought, I'm just wondering if someone is interested, well, two things actually. One, if someone is interested in getting started writing a novel, what would you recommend? And then of course, to wrap it up, how can people find you? How can people find your book? Thank you so much, Greg. The suggestion I would have to people that are wanting to write a novel or anything is just get started. Use your phone, get a nice pen if you like to do that, get yourself a nice journal that you can write in, find some time. And people say, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time. It's a matter of priority. And some people say, well, I just don't know how to get started. Well, just think about, and you can listen maybe back to this again, think about, is there something you want to get off your chest? Is there something that's been bugging you? I talked to a lady the other day who said, I sometimes write these things down and then I burn them but just getting them out helped. What are your successes? What are your failures? What adventures have you had? What things have you learned? What do you like? What don't you like? What advice would you give? What advice have you been given? Have you had some tough times? If you could do things over again, how do you do things? How do you not do things? Who are the significant people? There's a million, maybe not a million, but there are quite a few things that you can write about. Just get at her. To get a hold of me, it's simple, Mackenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E dot J-O-C-K at gmail.com. When I retired from teaching, I had a teacher blog that still exists. It's teacher man, teacher Ms. URL or whatever is jockmackenzie all together dot wordpress dot com. And of course, you can get Jock's book on Amazon.com and Amazon.ca. We'll certainly put a link. And of course, that's Dealing with Diamonds, D-Y-M-A-N-S. Jock McKenzie, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Greg. Very, very much. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmaster specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. 
It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.